0: Take your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, we're in our series, The Jesus Way. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal that noted a massive shift in American values. Two decades ago, Americans of various stages overwhelmingly said that patriotism, hard work, belief in God... And having children were the most important to them. Today, among American teens, the number one priority, and there is not a close second, and by the way, all of the other values I just mentioned have decreased except one the last 20 years, is on target with what American teens want, and that is to have a job or career they enjoy. Number one priority. Helping others. Having children, way down on the list. You know, having a job is one thing, but having a job you enjoy and is fulfilling is a luxury that not everyone gets, right? I grew up in the Cleveland, Ohio area. I was the son of a welder, and I had trumped into me the satisfaction of working hard, and paying your bills was the largest part of contentment. Enjoying your job and having a boss you appreciated and who appreciated you would create an unmet expectation <laughs> for most people. And unmet expectations, I would say, exist in blue collar and white collar jobs. Now. Of course, all of us here would advocate for having a work environment that's positive and productive, great work culture, all that. But not all businesses operate with those values, right? Now, if I could survey everyone who has a job here, and we could talk about your work history, I bet all of us would have stories, some horror stories, of jobs that you had you hated or bosses that you had that were crummy bosses. We've all had that. And this can create, I think, a perfect mix, because in our society, it's all about having rights. Our culture's obsessed with rights for every group, including employee rights, right? And if I don't get what I want, then there's, you know, protests, strikes, sit-ins, marches. Now, there are channels that we have a privilege of utilizing in this country to air our grievances, but should a Christian approach their job different than most of the culture? I think Peter would think so, according to this passage we're going to read. And there's a principle that we actually learned a couple weeks ago. Uh, It bears repeating, and it says this. By dishonoring the authorities with insubordination and disrespect, we fail in upholding our responsibilities as citizens of heaven. Being a citizen of heaven is our primary responsibility, function. How are we to operate then with our job? Well, let's look at that. Let's all stand as we look at our passage. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it? If when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Would you go before the Lord by your head and ask God to speak to your heart? Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. As I read through 1 Peter, I would have to say, this passage poses, at least for me, one of the greatest challenges. I had to laugh because Joel will be preaching while Jan and I are on vacation. We kind of plotted it out. And he has the passage of wives being submissive to their husbands. We laughed, said... Thanks a lot, Kevin, for giving me that passage. But in actuality, this to me personally has been a much harder thing to subscribe to. I'm just being honest. Don't need to have you show hands, but all of us have had crummy bosses. All of us have probably been in situations where it's very difficult to have a good attitude. And yet God is holding us responsible to do that. Our propensity is to declare our rights, fight back, threaten, and a host of other self-serving options. And this seems to fly in the face of the plain scriptural injunction that Peter says. Frankly, the temptation is to dodge these kinds of things and say, you know what? That applies to another culture. It doesn't apply to us today, but I don't think we can do that here because the other culture had a system of slavery. And if it applies there, why would it not apply here also where we are living in a democracy where slavery is outlawed? So it's even more reason to put it into practice today. Now, I think it bears pointing out that the slavery of the first century did not mirror exactly the slavery that was in North America. There were some similarities, but there were major differences. Slaves in the first century, for instance, could be doctors. Nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans. There were even laws that existed about the treatment of slaves. Um, They could expect payment for services and the possibility of earning their freedom by paying off their masters. There were over 50 million slaves in the Roman Empire, And they would find themselves in this predicament usually because of debt or being a part of a foreign country that was defeated by Rome and then Rome would take its citizens and use them as slaves or they would be children of existing slaves. Now, there were some similarities to North America. For instance, clearly slaves or servants were lower in social standing and their service was involuntary that's plain so i can describe to you these differences but to use the term slave doesn't really capture it because we're all thinking north american and to use just the word employee doesn't give it the weight that it had in the first century so the word here and the ESV is translated servants, that's not a bad translation. But just understand it's somewhere in between, you know, an employee and slave, at least as we typically understand slave, right? In viewing First Peter about our relationship to different authorities, government authorities, um, employers, and in the home, There's a general principle that has to be wrestled with here. Our concern as citizens of heaven is that we obey our king, and that king is Jesus, and he is calling us into submission to every human authority. All of our privileges will be experienced in the world to come but there is no place for rioting and rebelling against the human structures. Now, there is a place to work against injustice. For instance, I think of William Wilberforce in England. He was not a slave, but he worked to improve uh, his community by getting rid of slavery. So yes, we can go through the proper channels But there seems to be an underlying heart of submission to God and accepting our personal lot as being under the sovereignty of God, not constantly fighting and rebelling. And you probably have a million questions in your head right now, as you should. But you see what I mean by wrestling with this passage and the challenge it is. Peter is calling the first century servant or slave or employee, whatever term you want to use, not because their master was respectful, because even when the master was unfair, the principle still applied. Good and gentle, he says, applies to some, hopefully most. Um, And that means that the employer, the masters, were fair to them. Treated them well. Unjust is a Greek term by which we get our English word for scoliosis. It means crooked. The master was crooked. All right? They could mistreat them, be dishonest. um, Pay, especially low pay. There were negative environments, working environments. Yet, even in those conditions, Peter was calling them to show respect and still be submissive to the authority. Now, the only time this doesn't apply is when we're asked to break a specific biblical commandment or to sin, then we're free not to obey a human authority. So it's easy when a boss is fair, but the rule seems almost unattainable when we work in unfair conditions. it's why verses, I think, 19 and 20 address some of the motivation that goes on for obeying this. But before we get there, I want to give you an Old Testament and New Testament example for this principle that I think sheds some light for us on this principle. Consider Onesimus, the runaway slave who left his master Philemon. I've preached through the book of Philemon. It took me four years. Um, That's a joke. It's only got one chapter for those of you that don't don't know that. Inside Christian joke that many just didn't get. All right. Um, (laughs) Philemon was a Christian, and Onesimus became a Christian under Paul. All right, and Onesimus ran away before he came to Christ, met Paul, came to Christ, and what does Paul tell him to do? Go back to Philemon. Onesimus, the slave, was to go back to his master, Philemon. Both Christians. Paul doesn't say, hey, now that you're a Christian, hey, you're free to go. But no, as a Christian, be submissive within the system we're in. The, the principle of submission still stood, even in the system of first century slavery. Being a Christian is not now a reason to take advantage of a Christian employer, which many do. You know, I get some extra benefits because he's a Christian and I'm a Christian. I was a Christian employer for a business for several years. And I probably had more problems with Christians than I had with non-Christians. Because once they find out I was a Christian, they would expect, you know, certain benefits that others didn't get. A little weird. But this is what Paul writes. I am sending him back to you. Sending Onesimus back. Sending my very heart. So, Work within the system. Don't rebel. Don't protest. Work within the system. Be a part of a Christian community that brings peace. Not that everybody sees you as a rabble rouser. There's an Old Testament example of, I think, the kind of heart that goes along with this kind of submission. You remember the story of David and how King Saul was insanely jealous of David and his leadership. In fact, he tried to kill David multiple times. So no matter what you've gone through, I doubt that your boss has tried to kill you, okay? But that was David's situation. Tried to kill him. Threw a spear at him, all right? So David, as a result, was on the run away from Saul. But on differing occasions, David had opportunity for vengeance against Saul. Once, David was hiding out in a cave, and who walks in but Saul? Saul is relieving himself and does not see David. David could have killed him, but instead cuts a portion of his robe. And David felt convicted by doing just that. This is what we read. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. David's thinking, this is the Lord's authority I must respect. He was put in place by God. I have no right to seek vengeance, even though he tried to kill me. On another occasion, Saul is encamped with his army. They're sleeping. David finds him asleep, David and one of his men. He could easily have killed Saul because there was a spear standing right next to him. We read this. So David and Abishai went into the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, where a spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay behind around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. I'll do the job the first time, David. Don't have to worry about it. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him or his day will come to die or or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. God will take care of it. I won't take matters into my own hand. David is mistreated. His life is threatened by Saul. And by the way, this did not happen because David was evil. It happened because Saul was unjust. He was really crazy. No one would criticize David for being self defensive. In fact, you could say because he ran, he probably practiced a degree of that. However, he patiently waits upon the Lord to deal with Saul. Instead of striking back or rebelling, he respected the authority even though the authority did evil. In the New Testament, we don't find the apostles taking upon a role as a social reformer or a social philosopher. Peter's not saying, now that you're all free in Christ, revolt, sit in, protest, strike. He's saying, be submissive, uh, To your pastor, to your masters. (laughs) To your masters. (sighs) You know, that's not in there, but it should be in there. Wow. We learned some of the reasons as to why submission is to be practiced. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's like grace is put up on a pedestal when a Christian suffers during injustice. think of how difficult this is. And Peter is saying, oh man, grace is on perfect display then. Whether it is grace that we show other authorities when treated unjustly, or the grace of God a master realizes, grace is on display instead of protest or power grabbing. And this can only happen because we are mindful of God. In other words, I know God is sovereign, I know God has my future within his hands. I can entrust myself to God. I'm mindful of Him. Listen, the natural select uh, 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 reaction is to fight back. Right? That doesn't come hard for any of us. It doesn't come hard to demanding our rights. That's the most natural thing for us to do. That's our flesh. But the Christian is to submit, to die to self, to let God fight his battles. And if that isn't specific enough, and you think I'm just taking it way too far, listen to this. The Apostle Paul said, bless those who persecute you. (laughs) Really? I mean, doesn't in the Greek that say, sue those who persecute you? Shouldn't it? No. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You know what that means? At the dinner table, don't roast your enemies. but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, honestly, at some point I think we just have to relent and die to self and say we cannot wiggle out of these injunctions if we're gonna take following Christ seriously. God is more concerned about what our life says to others for his sake than how comfortable we are, how easy it is, whether we've been healed, whether we got the promotion or not, God is more concerned about our obedience to Him. And so many Christians seem to be more concerned about their rights, being winners, being victorious, instead of the privilege of following Christ in obedience as a faithful disciple. God gives victory, God does heal. God blesses people here, but he does it in his good pleasure, and not because we all deserve it because of being a Christian on this earth. Those things will come in heaven. What am I to say to the believers in the Ukraine to say that, you know, if you have faith, God is going to deliver you and give you great blessing going to heal you, what what am I going to say to that? What am I going to say to our brothers and sisters who live in squalor in, in Guatemala or other places that we've gone to, that God is here to bless you, to give you success? This is something we've contrived in our society and within American evangelicalism. It's really not a part of the biblical narrative. Now, there are great blessings to being a Christian. Wonderful blessings. God is with us. He, I believe he protects us, uh, protects our soul. I believe that uh, he gives us peace within any circumstance. He gives us guidance. But it doesn't mean because I'm a Christian that all of these outward blessings are guaranteed for me here on this earth. We're not called to be stoic, self-willed promoters of this injunction, but rather trusting awareness of God's presence, his never-failing love for us. We just can't do it on our own. This is part of the strength of, I think, what we call righteous suffering. It's the confidence that God will ultimately right all injustices which enable a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment or despair. Listen, God will judge Employers or masters who take advantage, particularly of Christians and of their state, whatever it is, taking advantage of them. I believe this applies to all leaders and authorities, not just um, employers. God will take care of it. Listen to this out of James. Come now, you rich And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let me ask you this. Who is taking care of the injustices? God is. God is. Now, Particularly when I'm in that situation. I'm not saying when it's proper, we can't work towards injustice, but when we're in it, when I'm the employee and I'm being treated unjustly, Peter's saying, You submit to that. God will right the injustice as far better than we can. So, how's grace exhibited in all this? There's a pastor who's now deceased that was in California who told a story about a young soldier who was weak and for some reason did not fare well trying to be a soldier. And he found a certain sergeant who was his boss who made a habit of abusing him, okay? The soldier was trying to perform one training exercise and he laid on the ground unable to continue And the sergeant, who had been so hard on him, started kicking him with his boots, beating him with his boots. The soldier was in so much pain, he had to be carried back to his bunk. The next morning, when Reveille blew and the soldiers got up, the sergeant woke up, reached down to put his boots on, and found that they had been spotlessly shined. And when he asked who shined his boots, he was told, it was the man who you kicked. And he went to that man and he said, how can you do that? And the man said, because Christ has given me a love for you. He went on to give his testimony. And the sergeant came to be a believer in Jesus Christ. He trusted the gospel. This point is made further in verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God will reward you. Grace is on display. Do we contribute to the kingdom when we get our way by rebelling or seeking vengeance? And the answer to that is no. If we do something against our employer, and by the way, do you know that theft against workplaces is a huge problem? And you know who the largest perpetrators are often in cases? fellow employees who steal from the company. Why do they steal? Because many feel like they've been treated unfairly. They're not getting paid enough. Didn't get a day off or whatever. And so they steal from the company. Companies are losing big bucks because of this. And if we do something against our employer and take advantage and we are punished for it, we cannot claim that we our suffering for God. That suffering is on our head because we deserved it by coming against an earthly authority. However, when we show respect like David and then we are treated unfairly, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. He notices that, he rewards that. The difficulty of this passage is to read that submission is still a responsibility when the servant is beaten. I mean, you can try to explain this a hundred different ways, but I think the principle still stands. Vengeance is in the hand of the Lord. You know, when Paul and Peter... And I've made this point before, were dragged into jail. We don't read of them screaming, yelling invectives out at those who were dragging them into jail. When Stephen was stoned, we don't read of him yelling at those who were stoning him, but he was quietly praying for them that they would be forgiven. Where does that come from? But by the grace of God. They all exhibited trust in God, and we could all see the grace of God at work. When we're aware of the presence of God in our lives, God provides the strength to endure ill treatment, to bear the pain, and he extends grace and mercy to enable us. Disregarding our obligations gives no credit to the gospel. One must make the choice of either the gospel or vengeance, gospel or payback. What's it gonna be? God's approval is our highest goal in life. Not being healed, not being rich, not having a comfortable life. If you want to short circuit the blessing of God now and rewards later, then just start retaliating. Practice unforgiveness. Threaten. React angrily. Stop being submissive to your employer. You may get what you want, but that's a lot different than being blessed by God and rewarded. I think there's a way to look at this as far as our jobs that might help. There's often this division with Christians of a secular job and then a ministry job. I think that's a really bad distinction. If all of us are put in place, if every... Boss that we have is put in place by the sovereign hand of God. We are called to submit to that authority. That is a holy thing. That is a spiritual thing. That is a Christian thing. That is our ministry. Every one of us with a job to submit to our employers. And all of us have a spiritual calling to showcase the grace of God and how we handle injustice at work, not with hostility or retaliation. All work has to be done ultimately for Jesus Christ. I'm not serving the boss in front of me ultimately, but the Lord himself. Paul writes, whatever you do, flipping burgers for McDonald's, Whatever you do as a nurse, as a doctor, as a financial advisor, as a lawyer, as a mechanic, whatever you do, you do in work, word, or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ. In his power, for his glory, for his approval. And the first verse of this section says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You know, the first century Christians did not have the freedom we have of changing jobs, right? They had little recourse at injustice, There were no labor unions. There was no human resources department to share a grievance. If Peter is telling them under a slave type system to submit to their employer, then I think we're safe to say we're not to fight for our rights, resent our employers, Strong arm our employers, who then would see Christians as nothing but making trouble. And such actions communicate ultimately that God is not acting for us. We have to do it ourselves. Peter describes a better way. It's a Jesus way of doing work. Let's pray. Christian, the Lord is speaking to your heart about a particular situation, shedding light for you? Do you humble yourself before God? Allow the Spirit of God to bring about the change necessary to submit to the Lord even in this area. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you were to die right now, you don't know whether you'd be with God in heaven I encourage you to humble yourself before the Lord and realize you are not going to be forgiven of your sins by being a good person. You are not going to be forgiven by your sins by joining a church, being a part of a certain denomination. You can go through all the rigmarole that religion has to offer and still be unforgiven. The only hope that we have in our sin is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. So I invite you to pray a simple prayer like this, just between you and the Lord. Say, God, I know that I've sinned. And I know that you are right in punishing me for my sin, that that sin separates me from you. But you have placed my sin on your son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, that I could be forgiven. So I ask you to forgive me, to come into my life. I want to submit to you, honor you with my life to follow you if you prayed that prayer let us know on the seat back in front of you is a decision card just put your name and email on that take that card put it on the back table the table right behind this auditorium we have some bags there each of those bags has material in it just take one of those bags and leave your card those bags have material to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Father, take your word and apply it to our lives. Make this bunch at Christ Community Church the best workers their employees have ever known. Showing up on time, showing initiative, working the hardest, being a team player, doing the best that they can do. May our testimony exhibit your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We try to take time in every service to answer questions or to take questions. There might be some things that were not clear. There's um, some questions that you may have or just comments that you want to make. I'll open it up to you. If anybody has any questions you'd like to ask today, anybody have anything? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a great, uh, great question. And uh, let's first recognize that the system that we work in, are working in today is different than the first century. So they did not have that option. So Paul didn't give them that option. Or uh, Peter, excuse me. But I think that option is available to us. I think the bigger, the bigger question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we submissive in the process? So while you may be looking for another job, we still want to exhibit a submissiveness and a respect for our employer. So you, know, you may feel like you're being treated in, unjustly, um, but even in the midst of that, we have to exhibit the right attitude. I don't think there's anything wrong in finding another job. Um, you know, as far as when that time is, I don't know that there's any rule. That's certainly going to come with a lot of prayer um, and talking to others who, other wise people in your life. Um, I think you want to do well, uh, you know, having been an employer of a business and having been an employee, um, I always appreciated people who would come to me and say what their grievances were that would give me an opportunity to make things right, you know, if, if I could. Now, you may not have a boss like that, so it might be different, but uh, I always like to think we can at least do what we can to make that work- workplace better uh, by communicating up the channels. But, again, that that may not do any good. But uh, I'm not going to sit here and say, you can't leave, but I think we just want to have the right perspective and attitude with our responses. Does that help at all? Great question. Anybody else? All right, let's all stand and sing together. Jerry, lead us with you.